The following programming is sponsored by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and inspiring interviews. As we restore and strengthen a culture of life, I'm Bonnie Finnerty, the Education Director at the Federation, and I am joined by my esteemed colleague, Maria Gallagher, the Legislative Director. Hello, Maria. Hello, Bonnie. It's so good to be with you today. It's good to be with you. So often the issue of abortion is framed as a woman's issue, but we all know that every child conceived has both a mother and a father, and that abortion affects all of them. Today, we are fortunate to have as our guest a person who can speak from personal experience on this. Peter DeMaio is president of Pennsylvanians for Human Life Education Services, and he will join us to share his personal journey and to fill us in on the mission of PHL Education Services. In addition, Maria will talk about the pro-life legacy of the Senator of Senator Orrin Hatch, who passed away recently. But first, we'll start today's podcast with a bit of inspiration. And this week, I'd like to share a story from National Right to Life News by Dave Andresco, who writes about an amazing medical intervention that saved a premature baby's life that involved magnets. Dave is an incredible writer, and he tells the story beautifully. So I'm actually going to read excerpts from his article that it appeared April 25th on National Right to Life News, um, and I will link to it in our show notes so you can look at it yourself. On March 9th, one year after she was admitted to the hospital, a preemie given a 1% chance of survival at birth has recovered and was healthy enough to be discharged from Rocky Mountains Pediatric ICU, according to Good Morning America. Baby Harper's parents, Kayla Hatch and Victor Jacobo of Nebraska, said she was now home with her twin sister, Gabriella, along with their three older siblings. On February 22, 2021, Harper and Gabriella were born at just 23 weeks and delivered by emergency cesarean section at Box Butte General Hospital in Alliance, Nebraska. They were immediately flown to Healthcare's Rocky Mountain Hospital for children in Denver, about 250 miles away for treatment, according to Good Morning America. There, Harper was diagnosed with long gap esophageal atresia and pulmonary hypertension or high blood pressure in the lungs. Looking back, Dr. Steven Rothenberg said he would have given her a one to 2% chance of survival. Rothenberg, Chief of Pediatric Surgery at Rocky Mountain Hospital for Children, started consulting on Harper's case shortly after she arrived at the hospital. She had type A esophageal atresia, where her upper and lower esophagus were not connected to each other, all of which made it very difficult for her to eat, drink, or swallow through the mouth. Rothenberg said Harper had a gap that was about two-thirds the size of her chest, or about three and a half inches. She then had three different surgeries to close the gap, and the doctor explains that her final esophageal repair surgery happened with magnets on January 20th. He says, we placed the magnets, one in the lower half of her esophagus and one in the upper half of her esophagus, 
And then what happened over the next 48 hours is the attraction of the magnets brought the two ends of the esophagus together. It was that final bit that we needed. And then if you leave the magnets in place, they sort of fuse the tissue and make a communication. And that worked in her. And so we were able to avoid the third operative procedure of going back into her chest. The magnets did the final work for us. And then after a week, we pulled the magnets down. Harper has challenges ahead, including learning how to eat, but Rothenberg said he's confident about her prognosis. The fact that she's made it home and they're all together is really a miracle, Rothenberg said. And her mother reports that for all she's been through, she is a very happy baby. So I just wanna say what an incredible story that is. Um, what an incredible example of what we can do when we look for ways to protect and nurture life. Here, this baby was born at just 23 weeks and extraordinary measures were taken to save her life and restore her health. It's a beautiful story of hope and life. And I hope that little Harper might be a reminder to all of us that no matter how small one is or dependent, each and every person is a precious gift worth fighting for. Maria. Bonnie, thank you so much for that inspirational story. Now the following is from a National Right to Life news release. National Right to Life mourns the passing of former Senator Orrin Hatch, who passed away at the age of 88 on Saturday, April 23rd. Senator Hatch served for 42 years in the US Senate beginning in 1977, making him the longest serving Republican Senator in US history. Senator Hatch worked to protect unborn children and their mothers by sponsoring pro-life legislation throughout his career, said Carol Tobias, president of National Right to Life. Senator Hatch was untiring in his work to protect unborn children from abortion. Senator Hatch sponsored the Hatch Federalism Amendment in 1981, which would have overturned Roe versus Wade and recognized that there is no right to abortion in the Constitution. In 1983, he sponsored the Hatch-Eagleton Amendment, which also would have recognized that there is no right to abortion in the Constitution. Senator Hatch repeatedly sponsored legislation and amendments to prevent taxpayer funding of abortion. In addition, Senator Hatch worked for the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990. Senator Hatch recognized early in his career the need to be a voice for the voiceless and to protect innocent human life, said Tobias. We will be forever grateful for his service. National Right to Life expresses its sincere condolences to the family of Senator Hatch. Bonnie. Thank you so much, Maria. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce this week's guest. Peter DeMaio is the president of Pennsylvanians for Human Life Education Services, where he has been a speaker and a board member since 2008. Pete married his high school sweetheart, Tricia, and together they often share their story, emphasizing their experience as, quote, uninformed and undereducated young adults when making decisions that impacted the rest of their lives, end quote. They've been keynote speakers at Respect Life events and have led retreats and school assemblies that often address more than 500 high school students at a time. Pete is also a successful Allstate agent and a highly requested speaker for pro-life causes. 
He and Tricia have been happily married since 2003 and have seven beautiful children, four boys and three girls. Their entire family is active in pro-life witnessing. It is a pleasure to welcome you, Pete, to Positively Pro-Life. Thanks for having me, ladies. I appreciate it. Pete, growing up, what was your impression, of, if any, of the pro-life movement? Um, it's interesting that you asked that. And I, I've heard many people share this recently. For whatever reason, when we were younger, um, there wasn't this this wasn't a hot topic like it is today, and it wasn't just as pre as prevalent as it is today. Um, a lot of that, I would imagine, has to do with um, politics, but it's um, it's not something that was really even on our radar, I don't think. It wasn't something that was discussed. We didn't hear it in church or at home, and I just feel like... So I, when I say that, that Trisha and I felt like we were undereducated and underinformed, I think it's, it's not like we were misinformed. We just weren't informed at all. We didn't have any formation on this topic or issue. Very little, if none. What path led you to experience the trauma of abortion? Th that one's a long one. Um, I'll, try, <laughs> I'll try and keep that one as short yeah, as I can. Take, take your time. It's a powerful story. Okay. Yeah, I think um, we live in a world which promotes a certain culture. That's no um, shock to anyone. And in this culture, we wind up mixed up and we place value on things where we shouldn't be placing value. And then we don't place the value on the things where we shouldn't place the most value. You know, one of those things clearly being human life, whether we're talking about the unborn, whether we're talking about a sick family member, you know, an elderly, you know, grandparent or something like that. So, so in growing up in this culture, one of the things that Trisha and I identified, um, because as a side note, we love teaching marriage prep. We've been teaching um, marriage pre-Cana. It was pre-Cana once, now marriage prep. We've been doing that for the last 10 years. We love it because it's just such a joyous time, you know, in couples' lives. And it's something that we both really enjoy. We teach for um, Joy-Filled Marriage Program now through Ascension Press. And, and Trisha and I always mention to the couples that there's two things that we would go back and change about our young lives. And fortunately, we're still together. So we so we're able to compare notes together from our young lives. We met when we were 15 years old, began dating, dated for 10 or 11 years, then got engaged and married, and we've been married for the last 18. So we talk about those first 10 or 11 years a lot and, you know, what went right and what went wrong. And we really identified the two main things that probably would have saved all of the, the you know, the heartache, the brokenness, the trouble in our lives. And we say, if we just could have saved ourselves for each other and for marriage, that decision alone, which we recognize is not an easy decision, that's a very difficult decision, but that alone um, would have saved us this trauma of abortion clearly, but so much other trauma in our relationship as well. And and the second thing that we decided is that we wouldn't have lived together before we got married because number one, there's just this, this wonderful 
joy of marriage and you're almost stealing some of that preciousness and that joy and part of God's plan, you're stealing it and trying to, to get it ahead of time before it was meant. So there's just that, that first year of being married and living together and, you know, the post honeymoon phase, it's wonderful. So we look at it and we say, oh, we should have saved that for each other also. But it also on a deeper level removes the temptation when you're not sleeping and under the same roof together in the same bed together. Now you can remove that temptation, which is a very, very normal temptation. That's part of our sexuality. So I said, it's a long answer. And that's what I meant is, is when I finally learned um, the Catholic church teaching theology of the body, and really it was a Pope John Paul teaching. And I treasure that teaching. It's one of the best things I ever learned in my life. I didn't learn that until I was 28 years old. And then as I started learning it, I was sharing it with Tricia and we started to learn more, incorporated that as, you know, part of our marriage. But to me, that's something that is so countercultural and probably the most valuable teaching for all human beings, but especially for young people. And Tricia and I know if we just understood who we were me as a, you know, as an individual, as a male, her understanding herself as a female, and then the two of us coming together and understanding the self-sacrificial love, not just love, not just the romance, you know, and all that, but the self-sacrificial love. We feel like that, my goodness, the, you know, these last 18 years of marriage, that could have been the first 10 years while we were dating pre-marriage. So that's our truly our hope for others is that regardless of how you're living your life, you know, and, and, and whether it's a young, young people and, you know, uh, high school or college, or whether we're, you know, talking to someone who's already married or is, is, you know, getting married that we, you know, whenever you start is okay. I mean, look at how it turned out for Trish and I, but obviously if we can rewind the clock and go back to when we were 15 years old, that would be ideal. So I hope that, I hope that answers. Does that, yeah, I, I had the privilege of hearing your witness talk at the Philadelphia March for Life, um, where you kind of shared, you know, your journey and where your mindset was back then. I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners a little bit of, of what you and Tricia went through. Oh, gosh, horrible. Um you know, one of the things that I mentioned sometimes when I get an opportunity to speak is if, if you're post-abortive man or woman or couple, you know, it may, it may affect you immediately. And I know that happens for many. I mean, some come walking out of the abortion facility and actually choose life, you know, thank God. Um, but you're, you know, your conscience will wake up at some point and I, I don't know if that happens for 100% of post-abortive people, but I spoke to a priest just last year and he opened up with me and said he had, you know, a number of abortions in Colombia and it didn't, it didn't actually affect him. One, he participated in the abortion and he said, Pete, it didn't affect me until I was discerning the seminary and becoming a priest and I was sitting in church. So he said, Pete, it was decades later and my conscience woke up like Rip Van Winkle, he said, and it just tortured me inside, you know, that I had done this as a man many times and even participated in it. So his words really resonated with me. And I think they will with a lot of, of men and women. When, when this happened for Trisha and I, we were being, you know, sexually active and promiscuous. And 
uh, again, very little formation in this issue. So I had no idea that that Trisha was on the contraceptive pill and that it was not 100% effective. I thought that was a free pass to have sex and that she would not wind up pregnant. And little did we know she did wind up pregnant and I'll never forget that phone call. And, uh, you know, that was back in the days of rotary phones, no cell phones. And I'll, I'll never forget that, you know, or cordless phones, you know, in our homes. And, and she called and said that her period was late. And I just repeated what I heard everyone else say uh, down near Atlantic City, where I grew up. I grew up down the shore in, in South Jersey. And I heard a lot of the young men down there say, if your girl gets pregnant, you just get it taken care of. I knew nothing of what that meant. I just basically knew that you walked into one of these places pregnant. And when you came out, you weren't pregnant anymore. And I could go on and on and on, you know, about the details of that. But um, that's ultimately what happened. I, um, I took Trisha to the facility that was in Atlantic City. And, um, you know, and we came out and, and, oh, my goodness, what happened to us after that? And again, like I said, there's a lot of detail there that I could get into. But it became very, very difficult for us to continue on as just normal, normal young adults, just normal 17 or 18 year old kids that have your whole life ahead of you. We, you know, we weren't even, I, I don't even think we were in college yet. I think it was the summer after either senior year of high school or junior year of high school. I mean, I had my whole life ahead of me. I love, I was really good at basketball and baseball. I was a smart kid. You know, I have a wonderful family. I, I, I you know, I, I and same with Trisha, just a beautiful girl, you know, with a wonderful family. And here we tacked that onto ourselves. And then from there, now all of a sudden, when you have the temptations of things like parties in college and drinking and drug use and all that, you've already caused so much damage, you know, to your life and to your, your spirit, your soul, mentally, emotionally, you have this, you know, fouled up rocky relationship now with your significant other. And so now the thought of drugs and drinking really doesn't seem like it's going to be any more damaging than the damage that you've already caused. It's like when the cup is cracked, it's already cracked, you know, and, and ultimately that's what happened with Trisha and I. And then as I had shared, I believe down at that Philly March, we didn't stop the one thing that causes an unplanned pregnancy. And that was the, you know, the sexual activity because you become addicted to it in a way. And it's, and it's easy when you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend that you're already active with, you know, just to continue doing that. It's very difficult to stop. And unfortunately, she wound up pregnant again in college. So we had to go back through the whole scenario, you know, all over again. We tried to approach it a little bit differently. The second time we agreed that we were going to tell our parents what happened. But um, as you probably know already, Bonnie and Maria, uh, that that wound up not being a very good situation for us either, which I'm, you know, I'm happy to share and explain from, from a man's perspective. Pete, so many couples don't, their relationships don't survive an abortion experience, but yet you and your wife are still together raising a beautiful family. So can you talk a little bit about um, the healing that you found and, and how you found a path forward? Am I allowed to speak openly about God? Is that fine? Yes, absolutely. Oh, good. That's um, Jesus. It's, I, I, I honestly, that's, and I don't, you know, for those of us who, who have been watching The Chosen and enjoy watching The Chosen, 
I, I mean, I absolutely love it. My dad was watching it. And then we finally started watching it here and got hooked. Our kids are hooked. They skipped ahead and started watching episodes <laughs> because they, they got hooked. And I, you know, Trish and I look at our lives and we say, my goodness, we are such like a Mary Magdalene where Jesus didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save the sinner. He came to let us know that it's okay and that he can restore you know, just like Job in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, he can take what's already damaged and he can restore it all and make it more beautiful and more perfect than it's ever been. And I can only say that because we're living it. We actually lived it. And I would share that hope for anyone who's been through this or has been through this together as a couple that it's totally fine. Um, it, it, and there's always going to be that piece of us inside where where you're holding on to the damage and the pain of it. But my goodness, God, God writes straight on crooked lines and he heals all of it. And so for us to, to answer specifically, if you don't mind, the way that it had to happen for us was very unfortunate. Um, I needed a huge wake up call in my life. So my brother, Michael was diagnosed with cancer and my, my mom was diagnosed a year later with cancer. And I had already left the Catholic church. I didn't want anything to do with being Catholic anymore. No surprise. I was dealing with a lot of pain internally. So instead of drawing closer to God, I walked away from God, which many of us do when we're dealing with the struggles and pain of life. Well, in that time when my mom and brother were, were, were battling cancer and, and losing their battles, I, um, I went back to church and I started slow. I just went back on Sundays for mass. But God started working on my heart then. And from there, my goodness, what he did after that was just incredible with me and with Tricia and then with us together as a couple where he got in there, he dug down in like the deepest part of the pain and he just healed all of it. And there was a sequence of things and events that happened. Number one, my brother died. So that just completely bottomed me out which is why my favorite Bible verse is Galatians 2.20, or at least one of them. I have lots of favorites, but um, Galatians 2.20 says that it is no longer me who, you know, um, forgive me for not quoting it perfectly, but it's no longer me. It's now Christ who lives within me. And that's what happened. I was so bottomed out after my, my, my brother's death and my mom living through her cancer that it just completely, in that emptiness inside, God was able to go in and just fill me with him, which is really ultimately what I needed in there all along. So Trish and I were soon married um, after his death. We, we were married a few months later. I was never taught about um, contraceptives, the contraceptive pill, um, side effects on women, you know, morally, as far as our marriage and our relationship. So I came home after learning about this and after having my first confession in 10 years. Oh, sorry. Very important. I would recommend anyone, anyone who's dealing with this gets a confession. God already knows. We're not telling him he doesn't know. And you build it up like this fear of, I can't, I can't say this out loud. I can't tell anyone, you know, I can't, I can't even go in there and say it behind a screen, you know, and in the confessional, but we can, we can. And Jesus already knows that and he just wants us to come back to him so that this way he can heal it. And the way we come back to him is by opening up to him and saying it out loud. And then he can get in there and heal it. And I came home feeling so much better after that retreat and my, my confession. 
I said to Trisha, honey, I want you to go too. I feel so much better. She went to confession. We received the healing graces of that. And then after that, I asked her to stop taking the contraceptive pill, which she did. And what we didn't know was that God was then going to use that to just restore everything that he wanted to give us all along. So she was pregnant a month later and our oldest son, um, Peter Michael, who's born, we call him Petey, but Peter Michael was born on my brother Mike's birthday, the one who had just passed away from cancer two years prior. So, I mean, there was no greater way that God could have came along and said, I got this. I just wanted you to come back to me. And from that point on, Trisha and I have, tr- and we're not perfect. We're just a normal you know, couple and family like everyone else in the world, but we really, really try our best to keep God at the center of our lives each day in all of our little decision making. Pete, what message do you have for fathers who have experienced abortion in their lives? Um, I think number one, like we just said, is that is that there is there is healing and there is recovery from abortion. So regardless of, of how you're feeling inside, I think getting whole and um, with this, I think is is one of the most important things because we, we don't need to go through the rest of our lives broken or damaged. We can be whole and, and basically leave that in the past and then walk forward clean into the future. So I think that that's a big key. And like I said, when you watch things like The Chosen and you watch those healing miracles, you literally see someone one way and then you see them now living a completely different new life. So I think for fathers, that new life is possible and you can leave this behind you and it doesn't have to carry forward or drag forward in, in all that you do. I, if I could recommend, if you're with that person still, as Trish and I are, you have to forgive each other. I feel like forgiveness is at the source of all this. And one of the, the key ways we can do this is, um, is through love. And um, 1 Corinthians 13 is one of my other favorites. Um, uh, and it's, you know, the one that most of us are familiar with. We hear at weddings, love is patient, love is kind. And, and I love that one, especially um, verses four to 13. But, but in, in forgiving ourselves for what we've done, uh, we've done and in forgiving um, others, I think that that's where, and, and this is hard. I, I, I'll just mention one last thing. If in some cases, the woman made the decision and didn't include the father. So that's an even deeper wound because you feel like something was taken out of your hands and you didn't even have any say or control. That's a tough one, but my goodness. Um, and I, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of marriage and I'm a big fan of family. Nothing healed my old wounds better than being married and having my own children. It's like those first two boys being born and then our do- subsequent child, our daughter, Alyssa, those first three, they healed me like I would have never imagined healing ever. They, they have no idea. They'll never know how they healed their father just by being born, just by being here. That is so beautiful. And we just have about 30 seconds left. And I'm wondering if you can tell us why is the work of PHL Education Services so important? Okay, formation, formation, and more formation. I think that um, by being properly educated and informed, which doesn't happen overnight, we're just in one day or listening to a talk, I think that that then allows God to do his part, which is the transformation 
and that comes from being educated and formed and and properly formed and then and then now god can do the rest so what pennsylvanians for human life does has done for 50 years and i'm gonna hopefully carry this torch forward in a major way uh, is we we want to teach 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 i mean bioethics and we're gonna leave it right there teach 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 <laughs> thank you so much pete DeMaio, for being with us today and remember there's always a reason to choose life